All right. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? All right. Some of you guys are mentioned like, it's a good morning. I, like, I'm at first service. What else do you expect? Well, hey, my name is Chris. I am the Life Groups pastor here at Southwinds Church, and I just want to say it is a privilege uh, to be with you. Again, Mike is, Pastor Mike is on vacation, so they decided to go really deep and say, we need to bring someone up here to preach, and so they just made it and had me uh, answer that call. Uh, we have been in a series called The Songs of Summer. And I love the song that we just sang. I don't know about you guys, but it's one of those classics where you just kind of, kind of call out and you say, God, from the inside out, Lord, my soul cries out. And there is something very powerful about when we go to God, that when God begins to start changing us from the inside out, that there is a song that is created in our hearts. And as we are reading through the book of Psalms this summer, as we're kind of picking, choosing uh, various chapters of the Psalms, these are songs that people are writing to call out to God. And today, we're going to be in no different place. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them up to Psalm 51. If you have your Bible apps, I want you to go ahead and open them up to Psalm 51. I'm going to be in the NIV version. But I want to first kind of tell you what Psalms do. This week, I just came back from doing a funeral in Idaho, and one of the things that I, that I thought was very powerful, that the, one of the scriptures that I always read when I'm doing a funeral service is Psalm 23. Why do we read Psalm 23? It's because what happens is, is that when you go and you've seen someone who's gone through mourning and they've needed to rely on the shepherd, the good shepherd, for strength and for encouragement, we go to Psalms because they put words in our mouths, they give us clear thoughts to the feelings that we are having. And when you read words like, the Lord is my shepherd, and I, might, and I and, and I'm, I'm, will no longer be in want, it's pretty powerful what God does. So this morning, we are going to read a story that has a little bit of a backstory. But before we do that, I want to actually kind of set it up with a testimony, because I think it's powerful that when God gives somebody a story, that they need to share it. And one of the things that you will always see, try before I preach, is that, that people need to hear stories. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to bring one of my good friends, one of the, my, probably the first people that I met here in the church, and that God welcomed me. But I, I, I asked him a few weeks ago to say, would you share your story from the pulpit as I share God's story? So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to bring him out as he begins. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for what you're going to do through your scriptures. And God, I just want to pray for my brother Matt, Lord. God, I pray, Father, that you would use his story, Lord, to connect with people here this morning. God, we know, Lord, that it is a story, Lord, that you have guided him through. And God, we pray, Lord, that you would use him now, Lord, uh, to be encouraged, but also to be reminded, Father God, of how powerful you are. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, let's hear a little bit of Matt's song this morning. Thank you, Chris. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Many of you might know me or have seen me around, but however, most of you have not heard about some of the things I'm about to share. I was born to a teenage mother unable to care for me and a father that had no intention of being a part of my life. I was abandoned from birth to be raised by my grandparents. Struggling to be accepted and loved, looking for identity in any and everything possible, I turned away from the church I was raised in, wanting nothing to do with my grandparents' religion. With no desire to know God, I saw religion as a crutch for those who could not manage their own lives. Living life without any care in the world, 
I was addicted to drugs, alcohol, and sexual sin from an early age, using them all to search for something that would fill the void inside of me, only leaving it bigger and bigger every time. Living life irresponsibly, I became a teenage parent. I put myself at the center of my marriage, and there was definitely no room for Christ. I was the God of my own understanding. I cared about no one, solely serving the selfish, self-centered desires coming from within, no matter the cost and pain caused to others or myself. I was truly numb to life and no desire to become sober or change. The outside reflected having everything while the inside was a termite-infested, rotten shell of emptiness. Leading to depression and despair, not caring if I lived or died, in a dysfunctional, destroyed marriage and an emotionally disconnected family, I isolated into my own demise. While being separated from my marriage and family, I finally found myself in a place of utter disaster, powerless to control my tendencies to do the wrong thing, living a life unmanageable on my own. I remembered that God, the one I had denied so many years ago. I cried out to him and he answered, and he opened my eyes to who he really was, not as I had portrayed him to be. And he showed me his unconditional loving grace and mercy. I connected into recovery and in the church, and I surrounded myself with others traveling similar roads, and I began to live life as God had laid it out. I begged for his forgiveness and pleaded for his spirit. I traded my sorrows for his joy, my pain for his purpose, my selfish self-centeredness for his desires, and my identity rooted in addiction, shame, and guilt for a new identity found in Christ. No longer abandoned, but a child of God. He revived my heart, he restored my marriage, and he renewed my soul. When I surrendered to him, he was able to break through this stone-cold heart, and he taught me love, compassion, grace, and humility. God is continuing to work in and through me, restoring relationships, bringing meaning to the pain of my past. I serve him by serving others. I live now with a purpose, living one day at a time, one moment at a time, carrying the message of the gospel of Christ to all those still suffering in the lies of addiction, isolation, and despair. Walking alongside of them in their time of need as others have been there for me. I find myself falling deeper in love with my wife, striving every day to be the husband and father God has called me to be. Through my rebellion, God was always there waiting for me to turn to him. Now, almost 10 years later from that decision to turn over my sin and to live for him, God continues to bless me, blesses me with a healthy marriage of almost 14 years, two wonderful children growing in Christ, and a baby on the way. Along with that, I have had a church family here loving me, sometimes and most of the time in spite of me, there to laugh, cry, even challenge me every single day, all while getting to be a part of the very ministry that God used to save my life, marriage, and family. I am so very grateful that despite of all of my wrongdoings, God in his grace and his mercy, he's given me all of this and so much more. God's grace and love is free and available to all who search for him and who would receive it. God knows what I was with, gone through, and God knows what you have been through, and he knows exactly how to use it to help others and better his kingdom. He took someone who believed religion was a crutch, and he brought him to his knees. Never would I have imagined a day where I was sober. Drugs, alcohol, sexual desires did not dictate my life. And even more of a day where I desired to be at church, leading an amazing ministry with an amazing group of people, even standing here sharing with you today. That same person who was so once against the church now advocating for it. It's okay to not be okay. 
But the good news is that we don't have to stay that way. God has provided a way out through his son, through the church. Life change happens in this place. God can change your life and bring meaning beyond your wildest dreams. And not only is he capable, he's also willing. All we have to do is surrender and get out of his way. Humbling ourselves before him so that he can lift us up. I'm a grateful believer in my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who has redeemed me from the chains of addiction to drugs, alcohol, and sexual sin. He has a purpose and a plan for me, and he has one for you as well. My name is Matt. Thank you for letting me share today. Nailed it. Hey, so um, I'm not sure if you guys caught that, too. That was an announcement that he's going to have a baby, too. That was... That was super cool. It was kind of hitting. He said, while his wife is gone uh, taking some kids to camp this week, he's like, what a perfect time to open up and share that as well. <laughs> Honestly, as Matt has led our Celebrate Recovery program over these years, one of the most powerful things that, that he, God has used him is to be a tool, uh, to be a, a, an instrument for God, not just a tool. Sometimes he is a tool, but that's beside the point. <laughs> Sorry, Matt. Every song has a story. And this one that we're going to read this morning is no different. As we go into Psalm 51, there is a backstory that's pretty incredible. And this story impacts us because what happens is it talks about the inside, the inner parts of what happens in our lives when we feel separated out from God. And it starts off, before we read Psalm 51, I want to kind of give you a little bit of that backstory, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, but it comes out of 2 Samuel 11 and 12. And just go ahead and write that in your notes so you can read the story after this morning. But it starts off with this man. His name is King. He's a king, and he's King David. And in the scriptures before this point, he is actually named, it says that King David was a man after God's own heart. Yet he was still a man with a human heart. And you see, the story starts off in 2 Samuel 11, where it says that all the kings were beginning to go into battle. But one thing that David did was is he ended up just staying home. And when he stayed home, I'm going to tell you something. When you're supposed to go somewhere and you end up doing something else, you can get yourself in a whole lot of trouble. And that's what was in store for David. You see, what happened with David is as he was staying home and as he was on the top of his rooftop and he's looking across the city that he is the king of, what does he do is he sees a woman bathing on top of a roof. First of all, I'm going to let you guys know, women do not bathe on top of a roof. Just going to lay that out there. But he begins to lust after that woman. And so what he does is he goes and he calls his men and he says, I want you to find out who that woman is and I want you to bring her to me. And what happens is, is his servants, being the servants of a king, go out and bring that woman to him. And her name was Bathsheba. And as she comes to him, he begins to go and he does what the king does and says, I am the king. And he ends up sleeping with her. And then he sends her away. Well, sometime later, she sends a word back to the king and says, I'm pregnant. And the king knows that Bathsheba had a husband and so what he tries to do in order to cover up his sins is that he goes and he calls for her husband, Uriah, to come off of the battlefield in hopes that he would sleep with his wife. 
And so what he does is he brings him back home and he says, hey, go back and be with your wife. And then what he does is he finds out the next day that he ends up sleeping at the doorstep and saying, listen, I cannot sleep with my wife while I know my men are at battle. And so he says, he tries it one more time, and this time he tries to get him drunk. And as he gets him drunk and he sings, okay, for sure, he is now going to go back to his wife. And he decides to go ahead, and he finds out again that she, that he did not sleep with her. And so then he does what he has to do, or what he feels he has to do. And he feels he has no other choice, is that he sends Uriah back to the battlefield, but this time what he does is he sends him with a note to give him to his commanding officer that says, put Uriah in where the battles are the most fiercest, knowing that Uriah would be killed. Well, sure enough, a little while later, they get noticed back that says that Uriah has been killed in battle. And as he gets killed in battle, now he goes to this point that, that King David finds out he's killed, his wife finds out he's killed, and then there's this period of mourning But he just waits, and then he takes Bathsheba as his wife, and he thinks that his sin has been covered. Well, God says in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven, he says that the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. And I want to just share with you just a moment. Have you ever had those moments where you feel that you just displeased the Lord? But what happens is, is that God sends a prophet, and this man is named Nathan. And a prophet was somebody that was, God would send to people that would share truth, hard truth, to Christ followers who, who, would, who didn't know, what, maybe sometimes they didn't know what they were doing, and they would bring this truth to them. And this is what David says. And as the prophet Nathan arrives, he tells David a parable. I'm not going to go into the full story, but the point of the parable was to lure David to indict himself at what he had just done. And as Nathan goes on and on in the story, David begins to get angry and he gets to rage. And all of a sudden, he gets to this point where he tells Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. Think about how angry he must have been. He's going, man, who would actually do this in this story? Bring him to me. I think he needs to die. And then Nathan says to David, you are the man. Have you ever been confronted in your own sin? Has anybody ever shared with you a truth and you're not saying you know, and maybe even as they're sharing their story, you're being convicted in your own life? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read 2 Samuel 12, 7 through 13, because I felt that every single word was important to read, and then we're going to dive into Psalm 51 pretty quickly here this morning. And it says that as Nathan, David said, he says, you are the man. And he wasn't saying like, you are the man. He says, you are that man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel. And I, I want us to make sure that you understand this. There's two words that I want to really stand out because as I continue to read this over and over again, there was the words, I, and God is referring to himself through the prophet David saying, I. And then Nathan's going to use the word, you. 
And I want us to kind of make sure that we understand that we can hear, first of all, God's desire and blessing over the person that he referred to as his man after his own heart. He says this, he says, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you, your master's wives into your arms. I gave you, I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been so too little, I would have given you even more. And then Nathan repeats to him, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? And then he begins to start sharing what King David had done. And he starts really beginning to start showing him when he uses the word you. I want to make sure that you understand that sometimes when he is king, there was nobody that could tell him what to do. He was the ruler of not only his own life, but other people's lives. But I also want us to think about it when we think about who is the ruler of your life. Because as Nathan begins to share with him, man, I started getting convicted myself. He says, you struck down Uriah the Hittite with a sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house. And because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. You see, God was telling him that there was a separation between who he used to be and what, where he was going in the pathway that he was going down. And then he begins to start sharing him the consequences. And then this is what the Lord says. He goes, out of your household, I am going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and, and give them to the one who is closest to you, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And then David really begins to start feeling heavy because these are the, his next words. It says, And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. And here's the most powerful part that I believe why he began to pen the Psalm 51. He says, You are not going to die. But because by doing this, you have made the enemies of the Lord show utter contempt, the son born to you will die. God passes over David's sin. Why? We hear that a man who cheats on his wife with Bathsheba and then sends her husband to kill him to try to hide over that sin it says in that story that if you read it, it says that all these other men who were also part of that battle going into the fiercest parts also died, and yet God passes over his sin. It sets the setting for what we're about to read in Psalm 51. And as we read this, what I want you to hear, I wanted you to hear the emotions that are probably running through David's heart in this moment. And what we are going to see as we understand that every song has a story is that every story also has new beginnings. And as David begins to write this, I want you to hear what an open relationship with God sounds like. 
In verses one through two, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, which were offenses to God. Transgressions were offenses to God. He says, wash away all my iniquity, which is all this immoral behavior. And he says, cleanse me from my sin. You see, the beginning of the relationship with God starts off with saying, you know something, God? You already know everything about me. I cannot hide what is going on in my life. I have to share with you And I want you to begin to cleanse me, God. Have mercy on me. But then in verse 3 and 4, he actually begins to start taking ownership, and we see what happens through confession. He says, for I know my transgressions, again, that offense to God, and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and are justified when you judge. You see, what happens is, is, and I want to make sure that you know, is that there's a beginning of ownership, and the beginning of ownership starts with confession. And confession is great. This is what I want you to understand what confession is. Confession is simply this. It's telling God what he already knows. So when you confess, you're not saying, oh my gosh, what is God going to discover when I share him with this? He's not going to be surprised. But what he is going to see is that you're beginning to start taking ownership of what you have done in your life. And in verse 5 and 6, he goes on and he says that there's this beginning of reflection of what God is doing in his life. And he says, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. And what he is saying is that he has probably struggled over this area called lust in his life for all his life, and he's going back. It probably happened from birth. Surely your desire, your tr- desire truth and inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. You see, God desires to have truth in our lives. And when we sing that song from the inside out, Lord, my soul cries out, there is a desire that when God hears us, that not only does he hear us, but there's a cleansing process that starts, and in verse 7 and 9, that's where we see that there is a beginning of a cleansing process. He says, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness, and let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. And what he is saying here is he says, when he says, cleanse me with hyssop, I want to make sure that we understand that back in Exodus, in the Old Testament, one of the things that they did when they celebrated this event called the Passover, where God passed over his people and saved his people from death, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take this hyssop and I want you to dip it in blood and I want you to put it on the door frames. And anytime I see this, that hyssop was used for cleansing And what he's doing is he's connecting those moments of the Passover. He's connecting how hyssop can be used to cleanse our lives. And he's reminding us this morning that God is not done with us, even if we have had sins in our lives. He begins to share the how-tos in these next set of verses. In verses... I want to make sure and get it right. In verses 10 through 11, he says this, and this is one of the most beautiful parts in the verse. And you have made, actually, when I started reading this, it was one of those things where I remember there's an old song that goes in with it. And he says, create in me a pure heart. Oh, oh, God. 
That one's for you, David, in case you want another singer. <laughs> and then he goes, renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And what he is saying is this, guys, is that if there's ever moments in our lives where if we feel we have absolutely messed up in our lives, what he's saying is that there's opportunities that we can simply go to God and say, create in me. Why did he say create? Is because he wasn't done with David yet. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. He uses the words renew, a steadfast spirit, an unwavering spirit within me. And the last word he uses, he uses restore to me the joy of your salvation. In the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. And not only that, it says that the old has gone and the new has come. Church, if you get anything out of this morning, is that no matter what you are facing in your life, that God desires to create something new in your life. He desires to renew. Maybe your spirit just feels like you are just going and just feel empty. Maybe for you, you need God to just restore something that has been completely broken and God desires to create in you. Have you ever found yourself just repeating for forgiveness a prayer just to say it over again the next day? You see, the moment we take the focus off of the joy of our salvation, the moment we take the focus off of who God is, is when we always go back to that repentance instead of just staying in the moments of God and who he is in our lives. Not only God desires to create in something, but there's also a story of acceptance that needs to happen in our lives. And I want to kind of read this passage to you and explain why I decided to use the word acceptance because in Psalm 51, 13 and 15, it says, then I will teach your transgressors, those who have offended you, your ways, and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from the blood guilt, O God, the God who saves me. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. I want to share with you that what Matt did here a few moments ago is powerful because it shows a man who has been created anew, a man whose spirit has been renewed, a man whose life has been restored, and that God has used over and over and over and over and over again. And I'm telling you, it's through hundreds I can use over again. But because he's willing to share his faults, his failures, his pains, his struggles, every Friday night for the last three years that I've heard God use Matt I've heard that song, Create in Me, a Clean Heart, O oh God. And you see, when we have a church that is willing to do the same, it's a church that is going to make a difference in this world. 
That's what we do care nights for. That is why we do life groups. It's so that when you come together as a group, do not come with just an outward shell, shell saying, I'm not going to share anything. We need to come with an understanding that in Romans 3.23, and it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we need to understand this. That that means every single person here has a song and a story. And that people need to hear not just the high points, but they need to hear the valleys. They need to hear that our conversation is actually one of the greatest openings to our conversation should start with, this is who I really am, and this, what God has done in me. There's a song by Casting Crowns called Nobody. And again, this is another one of my auditions for David this morning. And it says this, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody all about somebody, can you hear the song if you've heard it before, who saved my soul. And it says, ever since you rescued me, you gave my heart a song to sing. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. I'm living for the world to see nobody but Jesus. You see, when your story be also includes acceptance, what it is is it means you've accepted that you are broken. It means that you've accepted that there are things in your life that when you are afraid to share, what you are saying is, is that I have not really accepted God's grace in my life. But when we have Oh, it is powerful, guys. I can't tell you that in, on our Friday nights in our Celebrate Recovery, what we do is we do a message, and when we do a testimony. We do a message, and we do a testimony. We do a message, and we do a testimony. And the reason why we do that is because people need to hear that God's lives, that people who love God, that their lives change. But it starts by giving their testimony and saying, this is what he's done. And one of the most beautiful things is, is afterwards, as you have people coming up to him and saying, that touched me. That connected with me. But when we begin with that acceptance, that's when God begins to do a powerful thing. The last part of our story is the how-tos of what we need to do today before we leave here. We have the story of acceptance. We have the story of new beginnings, that there's this beginning part in a relationship with God, but there's this also the story of redemption. In Psalm 51, 16 through 19, he says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not pleasure in burnt offerings. And this is David calling out to God. He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. And your good pleasure make Zion prosper. Make Zion as his people. Build up the walls of Jerusalem and there will be righteous sacrifices. Whole burnt offerings to delight you. And then bulls will be offered on your altar. And what does this mean? It means that David is saying, saying, I'm not going to just bring you sacrifices anymore. Because those sacrifices don't bring pleasure, pleasure to you. What I'm going to bring is I'm going to bring you my broken spirit. If you're looking at where do you start, 
Just start with where you're at. Start with admitting, saying, you know something? Maybe today I'm not as good as I appeared to say I was. And then when you leave here and you spend some time with people out in the lobby, which our people will be out there to talk to, that maybe you say, can you, can you, can you pray for me? I need some encouragement. How do I get plugged into a life group? How do I get plugged into a care group? God wants us broken. If you have been the king or queen of your life, God wants you to be broken of the things that are separating you from him. God wants us broken from our parts, the things that, uh, that create us, that separates us from. God wants us broken from our desires that separate ourselves from him. God wants us broken of anything that will keep us from him. And I want to encourage you that that brokenness is the beginning of healing. Do not be afraid of the brokenness, church. Do not be afraid of the brokenness. You see, every time you keep on not sharing your brokenness, what you're doing is you might be preventing somebody who is also broken needing to hear what God has done in your life. And maybe God is putting you together for a reason. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did you guys capture that? That means that even while we are doing the things that we are doing, he still chose to die on the cross. That means that no matter how boneheaded decisions that we have made in our lives, guys and gals, and students who are here as well, that he still died for us. And he desires for us to go to him and begin this amazing relationship. And in Romans 10, 9, and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved, church. For it is with your heart that you believe and justify, and it is with your mouth that you confess and, you're, and are saved. So I want to close with this question. What does your story sound like to others? Who needs to hear your story? And if you're ready for God to use you, then just start. Let's pray.